Hey there, Orioles fans. Today is Wednesday, April 13th, 2022, and welcome back in to the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I'm your host, Connor Newcomb, and coming up on today's episode, we will first recap a tough Orioles loss on Tuesday night as they fall 5-4 to to the Milwaukee Brewers. Orioles had chances to put this game away to win this game. Defensive miscues and some bad hitting with runners in scoring position led to their first home loss of the year. And then I wanted to take a little bit of a finishing look at the Orioles offseason and talk about why for Mike Elias and the Orioles, even though it's still a rebuild, this offseason was a failure for the O's heading into 2022. So all that's coming up on this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast. You are Locked On Orioles, your daily Baltimore Orioles podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So the Orioles, unfortunately, no longer undefeated at home. And that is where we start on today's episode but before we get there, just did want to thank you for making Locked on Orioles your first listen of the day. Locked on Orioles is free and available on all podcast listening platforms. If you listen on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, please give us a five-star rating and a review on those apps. It really helps out. And remember, we're free on YouTube as well, right here on the YouTube channel. If you're watching, make sure to hit that red subscribe button, like the videos, comment on the videos as well. That really helps us out. And again, just wanted to thank you for making Locked on Orioles your first listen of the day. And for your first listen today, it's Brewers 5 and Orioles 4. The five things you need to know from the Orioles' first home loss of the season coming to the Milwaukee Brewers. And the first thing you need to know, Cedric Mullins. Those are the two words you need to know from this game. Because obviously the big swing, really the only big swing in the game from the Orioles came in the second inning. Cedric Mullins with a two-out grand slam off of Brewers starter Eric Lauer. His first career grand slam for Mullins, and it put the O's up 4-2 to two in that inning. It was an awesome moment for Mullins as he picked up his first home run of the year, again, the first career grand slam. And the place was rocking. It was obviously not nearly the crowd it was on opening day, but the Tuesday night crowd at Oriole Park was into it with the Mullins grand slam. That was awesome to see after... Yeah, he had started a little bit slow, and then he comes back out. You know, he gets another hit in the ninth inning, trying to start the Orioles' rally against Josh Hader. Doubles off the wall to start the inning. Was a couple feet away from a game-tying solo home run, but had to settle for his second extra base hit of the day. This series for the Orioles has not gone so great in terms of scoring runs and hitting with runners in scoring position. Cedric Mullins has all six RBIs for the Orioles so far through two games against the Brewers. Of course, had the two-run single in the second inning in the game on Monday in the 2-0 win, and then had the grand slam in the second inning in this game as well. He's got all six ribbies for the O's. Cool to see Mullins swinging it. Got a, a two-strike hanging curveball from the lefty Lauer and just turned on it, deposits it into right center field. Swing looked good. You know, just a little bit of a rough start to the year, but... Mullins is pulling it back around and looking like that 2021 Cedric Mullins. But the second thing that you need to know from this Orioles loss is that despite Cedric Mullins getting that hit with runners in scoring position, the Grand Slam, of course, that was the only Orioles hit with runners in scoring position on the night. They ended up going 1-for-13 with runners in scoring position and the big blows obviously came in the 8th and ninth innings. The Orioles were trailing 5-4, to four. 
had a real chance to, at the very least, you would have thought, tie this game. Devin Williams, who has the unbelievable changeup, great reliever for the Brewers, comes in and loads the bases with nobody out. And sure, the bottom third of the order is coming up, but you're thinking, all right, at the very least, somebody can put this ball in play. At the very least, we'll get one run. It'll be 5-5 at the end of the eighth, and we'll kind of reset the game. Well, that did not happen. Chris Owings strikes out on three pitches. Jorge Mateo strikes out. Ryan McKenna strikes out as a pinch hitter. And the Orioles get nothing against Devin Williams. Then in the ninth, as I mentioned, Cedric Mullins, a leadoff double against Josh Hader. You're like, all right, it's go time. Middle of the order coming up. Ryan Mountcastle strikes out. Trey Mancini strikes out. Austin Hayes draws a walk. And then Ramona Rios flies out to end the game. Of course, all with the runner in scoring position after the leadoff double. So... The woes continue. The Orioles are now 4 for 47 with runners in scoring position through five games this season. Honestly, probably the biggest reason that they are 1 and 4 through five games this year. Third thing you need to know from the Orioles' 5 to 4 loss to the Milwaukee Brewers is that Spencer Watkins was throwing 94 miles an hour. Now, how much did it help him? Debatable. Watkins gets the start in this game after being recalled from AAA Norfolk on Monday. Goes three innings, allowing four runs on four hits, although just one earned run in the game. We'll get to that in a second. Walked two, struck out one, and threw 57 pitches. But it was a little jarring to see Watkins coming out there and throwing 94. We didn't get to see a whole lot of him in spring training at all. And, of course, he didn't make the opening day roster. You know, he wasn't even on the 40-man. So I really wasn't sure what to expect from Watkins after he had, you know, some solid starts, but overall kind of a tough season in his first year in the big leagues with the O's last year. And, you know, he was a, a guy who was throwing 90 last season. He comes out there with a the four-seamer, and it's averaging 93, and he's up to 94 consistently. Now, it was interesting to see how much he threw the cutter. 40% of the time, the cutter was about 88, and that pitch got hit a couple of times, and, and he left it in the middle. But, you know... It was nice to see him throw 94. Again, he threw 57 pitches. He got one whiff. That's not very good. He wasn't fooling a lot of guys. But I guess maybe at least a start to have three to four miles per hour added onto your fastball. And Jim Palmer was basically yelling at Watkins on the broadcast, like, throw more four-seamers because he was throwing so many cutters, you know, of his 57 pitches that I mentioned, 23 cutters, 18 four-seamers, 12 curveballs, and four change-ups. Palmer was continued to say, throw, throw more four-seamers. You're throwing 94 now. And the cutter wasn't cutting a lot, and it was getting hit. So if Watkins gets another chance, maybe we'll see him you know, go back to that four-seamer. But it was at least nice to see him throwing harder. However, he definitely did get hit around. Although, he didn't get any help from his defense. And that's the fourth thing you need to know from the Orioles' 5-4 loss to the Brewers. Not a good defensive showing from Baltimore in this one. Now, you know, they made three errors in the game and it wasn't pretty but I mean just the kind of bad defensive plays that they made I mean it started in the second inning when Watkins or I should say in the first inning when Watkins gave up the two runs to Milwaukee uh, there was a potential for caught stealing and Chris Owings drops the ball at second base if he catches it it's an easy out and the Brewers go on to get a two-run double 
from Andrew McCutcheon. You know, it ends up only one of the runs ends up earned because of that. And then in the third inning, you know, this was on Spencer Watkins, but, you know, he's working through a tough inning. He's got two outs. He's got a couple runners on. There's nobody, you know, in, in the inning yet. He gets a two-out grounder right back to him, picks it up, and just spikes it right into the dirt. Trey Mancini couldn't pick it out. Run comes around to score. Another run comes in in the inning, and all of a sudden it's a two-run third coming directly after the Cedric Mullins Grand Slam. So Watkins had a chance to just get the shutdown inning by literally just picking up the ball and throwing it to first, but he couldn't do it. Makes the error. Two more runs scored. Obviously, both were unearned, so that's why even though Watkins gave up four runs, only one was earned over his three innings of work. But the defense has got to be better for the Orioles. And, you know, Arias made an error in the top of the ninth inning that didn't end up hurting them. Joey Crable still put up a zero in the ninth. But they didn't make some of the defensive plays they needed to at times in this game. And really the big play that hurts them. I mean, obviously you're going to come away from this baseball game with the most hurt coming from that eighth inning. You load the bases with nobody out, down by one. You're hoping, worst case scenario, they scratch across one run. And then they go strikeout, 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 and they lose the game by one. That hurts the most. But to me, what hurt the most in the game was that two-out play in the third with Spencer Watkins. It's a 4-2 game. He's got a ground ball back to him. You just get the out. He throws it into the dirt. For some reason, I still can't understand why pitchers can't throw to bases. They can throw 94 on the black to home plate, but they can't toss one over leisurely to first base. I don't think I'll ever understand. But that one really hurt, and that led to two more runs that tied the game and made that game completely different complexion. Because it takes us to our fifth and, and final thing you need to know from this Orioles loss is that the O's bullpen was really good again after that. And they kept them right in this game tied 4-4. Four to four. It started with Keegan Aiken. Another scoreless appearance after the three scoreless innings in Tampa on Saturday. Aiken goes two and two-thirds scoreless out of the bullpen. One hit, one strikeout, no walks. He throws 35 pitches on the day. And the stuff looked good. He only got hit hard twice. Again, he only gave up. The one hit, I mean, kind of impressive. Again, from Keegan Aiken, 35 pitches and 27 strikes, and he was you know throwing the ball in the zone, and you know, the fastball was 93-94, and he was throwing it on the corners, and you know his changeup was the big pitch for him in Tampa. He faced more lefties, so he threw less changeups. He threw 35 pitches, only four changeups, but he threw 11 sliders. The slider was the really good pitch for him. Came in about 84-85, got a couple of whiffs on it. Pitch looked good. He was throwing it in the zone, out of the zone. Another impressive outing by Keegan Aiken. And if he's going to pitch like this, I kind of like him in this, you know, piggyback kind of, you know, not long relief role, but two to three innings out of the bullpen role. I mean, he's been solid with it so far. Then Felix Bautista comes in. Yes, he does get hit with the earned run that ended up being the loss in the seventh inning, but his stuff was electric. The fastball was 98. That changeup was falling off the table. The strikeout of Colton Wong he had was ridiculous. It's on our Twitter account at Locked On Orioles. That changeup was unbelievable. CNL Perez obviously gave up the hit to McCutcheon that ended up being the difference in the game, but his stuff still looks solid. Brian Baker worked out of a jam in the eighth inning, and Joey Crable got a zero in the ninth, uh, got a big strikeout of Christian Yelich to end that ninth inning. And again, you know, you look at the Oriole bullpen, and they throw six innings of one-run ball and only walk one batter, and it's more impressive stuff from the pen. And, you know, a pen that lost Salser and Scott via the trade to the Marlins. They've put Baker and, you know, Bautista and Perez and Aiken in there, and they've filled that role pretty well. And I just continue to be impressed 
by this Oreo bullpen. But again, even though the bullpen was good, the thing you're going to remember from this game is the eighth inning, not being able to get that hit from the bottom of the order. And then really just, you know, the tough start from Spencer Watkins. And that's what I wanted to talk about coming up next. Because, you know, you look at this team and they should be in a spot where Spencer Watkins has to start the fifth game of the year. And they shouldn't be in a spot where Chris Owings has to be up in that spot that he was in the eighth inning for the Orioles. And we'll talk about why that's on Mike Elias, that those guys were in those spots to start this season. But first, let's talk about Built Bar, because it is the best-tasting protein bar out there. You get a delicious treat, and you get something that's good for you. And, you know, I know everyone, you know, is looking for a, a protein bar that's right for them. There's so many brands out there, but what sets Built Bar apart is the taste. You know, there's so many of these protein bar brands that try to say, oh, we taste better, we taste better. It just doesn't compare to the flavors of Built Bar and how good a Built Bar really is. I mean, peanut butter brownie is my favorite flavor, but there's so many good ones to try. Bars covered in 100% real chocolate. It truly does taste like a candy bar. It really does. And with the 17 grams of protein, just 130 calories in every bar, it's good for you as well. It's the best of both worlds. So to get your hands on some of these Built Bars at a discounted price as well, head over to Built.com. Enter the promo code LOCKED15, and you'll get 15% off your order. Again, that is promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at Built.com. So it was a tough loss to watch for the Orioles. 5-4, they fall to the Brewers on Tuesday to get to 1-4 on the season now. And, and the things that stuck out were the eighth inning, or his load the bases with nobody out against Devin Williams, and then he just turns into peak Devin Williams, Strikes out Owing, strikes out Mateo, strikes out McKenna, gets out of the inning. And I also really think about Spencer Watkins because, you know, even though only one run was earned, he gives up four over three innings and didn't put the Orioles in a hole because of the Cedric Mullins grand slam, but could have been a better start from a lot of other guys. That's why I kind of wanted to, to bring this point here on this episode is that this offseason for Mike Elias, in terms of what he could have and should have done for the Major League roster, it was a failure by Mike Elias and his staff. It's, it's plain and simple. Mike Elias failed to at least put the team in a spot where they're not going to win a lot of games. They're not going to make the playoffs. I don't expect that at all from this 2022 Orioles team. But he failed in supplementing the young guys with guys around them who can help his veterans, help out when the young guys are struggling, just at least be a major league piece for Brandon Hyde to have. And Mike Elias did not get this team those guys. And the reason I bring it up now, five games into the season, is because it kind of all played out in Tuesday's game. That's why it's kind of a, a perfect time to talk about it. You, you start with the starting pitcher. I mean, I know the Orioles were in interesting circumstances because Dean Kramer hurts the oblique warming up in the pen in Tampa on Sunday and kind of throws off your pitching plans. But, you know, you should not be in a spot where Spencer Watkins is starting the fifth game of the season. Like, that you don't know what you're doing for your fifth game. Like, you don't even have a set rotation to start the year. Spencer Watkins had some okay points last year. He also had some rough outings. But remember, he didn't really come up until July. They didn't really need him until July. He was a minor league signing, kind of pitching in AAA. They didn't need him until July. And I get why. They had injuries. They had inconsistencies. They had guys just not pitching well. They had Means and Zimmerman out. They needed Watkins. I get it. 
you shouldn't have to need Spencer Watkins in the fifth game of the season. And this isn't you know too much against Spencer Watkins. He is who he is. I'm happy he got the velocity up. Hopefully that means more success for him down the road this season. But you shouldn't be in a spot in game five where you're going to Spencer Watkins. There are plenty of options out there where you wouldn't have to go to Spencer Watkins. And the easy options for Mike Elias, you could call up Grayson Rodriguez. You could call up Kyle Bradish. Could have even started Alexander Wells, who was literally on the roster instead of Spencer Watkins. But past that, it's like, you know, I was happy the Orioles gave money to Jordan Lyles. $7 million. Most Michael Elias has given to any free agent. Yeah, Lyles didn't look good in his first start against Tampa, but he'll be in the starting rotation. But I said all offseason, they need two legitimate veteran starters. They got one in Jordan Lyles. You didn't have to pay more than you paid Lyles to get another one. And that's the frustrating part in terms of the Watkins thing and the starting rotation, is that Michael Elias could have gotten another one of these guys for right around or less than what he paid to get Jordan Lyles. And this comes with a caveat because I know some of these players took this deal or went to these teams because they're good contending teams. They want to try to win a championship. Andrew Haney, for example, he was with the Yankees last year. He signs for $8.5 million on a one-year deal with the Dodgers. Now, maybe he asked for more if he was going to sign with the Orioles. I would get that. And maybe he just wanted to go play for a good team and try to win a championship. So he goes to the Dodgers. I get that. Same kind of thing with Tyler Anderson, who also signed with the Dodgers. One year, $8 million. Tyler Anderson is way better than Jordan Lyles, and he's only making $1 million more this year. Orioles should have easily been in the market for Tyler Anderson. But I get it if he's saying, I'll sign with the Dodgers for $8 million, But if you the Orioles, if you want me to pitch for the Orioles, you got to give me $15 million. I get that. You know, Corey Kluber falls into this. One year, $8 million. Orioles should have been all over that. But he signs with Tampa because he wants to win a World Series. And I, I, I get all that. But there's a tier below those guys. A group of pitchers that I consider to be better than Jordan Lyles that I think the Orioles could have easily snatched up and did not do it. I mean, Michael Waka, you know, he signs with Boston, so I guess it's some of this. But, I mean, he's won a championship already. He did so with the Cardinals. $7 million for Michael Waka. He's not great, but he's better than Jordan Lyles. Michael Pineda, this was a name Orioles fans were calling for all offseason. One year, $5.5 million with the Detroit Tigers. Yes, obviously the Tigers are better than the Orioles. I don't think the Tigers are a playoff team this year. O's could have easily said, okay, Pineda, you're going to make 5.5. Here's 6.5 to pitch for the Orioles. Would have been very much worth it to get Michael Pineda. Drew Smiley. I get he hasn't been the best in his career, but one year, $5.25 million with the Cubs. Here, Drew Smiley. Here's one year, $6 million. Come pitch for the Orioles. I mean, Rich Hill, maybe Rich Hill doesn't want to sign with a bad team at this point in his career, but $5 million for Rich Hill, he's much more effective than, than Jordan Lyles. I mean, Chris Archer, I was banging the table for the Orioles to sign Chris Archer. He signs for one year, $3.75 million with the Twins. And maybe he saw the Twins get Correa and said, I want it to be there as well. But you couldn't say, hey, Chris Archer, Here's $6 million, almost double what the Twins are giving you. Come pitch for the Orioles for a year. I'll take Chris Archer. He knows how to pitch in this division. Danny Duffy, $3 million with the Dodgers. I mean, even a guy like Chad Cool, who hasn't been great with Pittsburgh, but showed signs. And I mentioned Cool in a Free Agent Friday episode earlier this offseason about why the Orioles should maybe take a look at him. 
mean, he signed for one year, $3 million with the Colorado Rockies. The Orioles couldn't have offered Chad Cool $4 million to come try and figure out the one good pitch he has in Baltimore. I mean, it can't be Jordan Lyles and Matt Harvey. It just can't. It, it just cannot be that. Even Johnny Cueto. I mean, I get that he signed with the White Sox. He wants to win another title. I get it. But he's on a minor league deal, and it's $3 million if he you know makes the major leagues, which he will with the White Sox, especially with their pitching injuries. But $3 million for Johnny Cueto? You couldn't double it and say, here's a major league deal for $6 million. If you come pitch for us, we'll trade you at the deadline if you're pitching well. I just don't get how Mike Elias didn't make any of those moves. And that's just the pitching. Because you'd have one of those guys instead of Spencer Watkins on Tuesday night. And maybe they'd pitch only a little bit better. Maybe they pitch worse. Who knows? But you at least know what you're getting. You don't know what you're getting from Spencer Watkins at this point. You can at least trust one of those veteran guys. This team needs that. And you're not sacrificing any of the future if you sign Chris Archer for a $5 million deal. That's nothing to a billionaire owner. That's nothing to a Major League Baseball team. Sign Chris Archer. Yeah, he's not the Chris Archer he was in Tampa, but he's still a competent starting pitcher. And if you pair him with Jordan Lyles and then Means and Zimmerman and whoever else it may be in the rotation, you can at least send guys out there every fifth day and feel a little bit better about it. And you're not bringing up Spencer Watkins on the fifth day of the season. And that brings me to the infield, too. Because the other thing they didn't do, which I really wanted them to do, was sign another veteran infielder. Rudin Odor, okay, whatever. But the next guy can't be Chris Owings, who they signed to a minor league deal and then is on the opening day roster. And here's Chris Owings batting with the bases loaded and no outs against Devin Williams. I don't think I've seen a major league hitter look worse in a plate appearance. Three-pitch strikeout. First-pitch fastball around the knees takes for strike one. And then swings at two, albeit incredible change-ups from Devin Williams, but that were in the dirt. And they're good pitches, and it's hard to lay off them. But three pitches, boom, 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 you're gone. I mean, listen, you don't want to do this, but it's kind of like the infield was playing back. If Chris Owings grinded into a 6-4-3 double play there and ties the game at five, he does a better job than striking out on three pitches. And I get you're not trying to do that. You're trying to drive the ball, get two runs in. But how are we at the point that Chris Owings is starting at shortstop? And I get, you know, Jorge Mateo was getting a day off, and he was in the lineup anyway and actually did strike out in that inning. But how are we starting Chris Owings when guys like Jose Iglesias were out there? And I get Chris Owings with a minor league deal. You know, he's only going to make about a, a, a million dollars in the major leagues, and I get that. But how is it only Odor and Owings? I mean, Odor's been terrible, and Owings has been terrible. How are those your two options? I mean, Brad Miller signed with the Texas Rangers. I get they were the darlings of the offseason, but you couldn't get Brad Miller for two years, $10 million? I mean, Jonathan VR, one year, $6 million with the Cubs. You couldn't pay VR to come back? Josh Harrison, $5.5 million over a year. He'd be a great veteran presence and still a good player. They were linked to Donovan Solano. There was actually news about the Orioles' conversations with Donovan Solano. He signed for one year, $4.5 million with the freaking Cincinnati Reds, who their owner said on Tuesday, they're literally just maybe going to move the team and not trying to win. You couldn't offer Donovan Solano $5 million to come play the infield for you? I mean, Cesar Hernandez, $4 million. He was a pretty good player just the last couple of years. You couldn't get Nico Goodrum for more than the $2.1 million that the Houston Astros gave him? You couldn't get Ari Adrianza for more than the $1.5 million that the Nationals gave him? I know these aren't great players. Jed Lowry? For $850,000, 
You couldn't do better than that? I mean, Jose Iglesias for $5 million in Colorado? Bring him back for six. He's got the bat. He's got the glove. It just it feels like a failure by Mike Elias this offseason. And again, none of this is is hurting the future. You can build up this great farm system and this great development staff and all the great stuff they're doing in the minors and still put out a more competent major league product. If you win 62 games versus 52 games, it really doesn't change things either way. It doesn't change your draft positioning. Also doesn't make things that much better, but it's a little better to watch. The fans still need an okay-ish major league product to watch, and they're not getting that right now with guys like Owings and Watkins out there. And I get Owings has had some good moments in his longer big league career, and I get that Watkins is a cool story with the Orioles, but they need to be the backup options. They need to be the guys sitting in AAA who come up in a pinch in the middle of the season, not basically on the opening day roster, ready to go in Game 5. There were better options. They could have easily been... I mean, if you're going to give $7 million to Jordan Lyles, you can give $7 million to Chris Archer. His ceiling is higher. He's probably better. But the O's didn't do it, and that's a failure by Mike Elias and his staff. Plain and simple, and it, it showed out in Tuesday's game with Watkins and then, of course, with, with Owings in there as well. But for the Orioles, they do have one more chance at the Brewers, and I'm going to be in the ballpark for it. So excited to see that. It's John Means and Corbin Burns, a true ace-off at Camden Yards. Corbin Burns, of course, the reigning NL Cy Young winner. John Means threw a no-hitter last year. He was good in the opener. Corbin Burns wasn't so good in the opener against the Cubs. Can the Orioles get to him? We will see, and I will see at the ballpark. Have a little live video. I'll be sitting out in left field uh, for this one, actually right by the bullpen. I'll be uh, in the first couple of rows of the new wall, so I'll get a, a nice look up close and personal with the new wall in left field. I'll uh, be reporting back on how it looks from those seats. Uh, if you are at the ballpark on Wednesday night, uh, come over, say hi in left field uh, if you'd like to. Love uh, meeting everybody in the Orioles community, especially at the most beautiful ballpark in baseball. But again, Orioles and Brewers, game three of the series. O's can win a series against a team that won their division went to the playoffs last year. That'd be pretty good. And I'm excited to watch John Means in person for the first time this year and be at the ballpark for the first time this year here in 2022. But again, we'll be back on the pod tomorrow, Thursday episode, breaking down everything I saw at the yard Wednesday night in game three of the series. Uh, we'll get you some more Orioles news and notes on the pod and uh, continue to look around the league as well. And also coming up soon, we'll be answering some mailbag questions here on the podcast. So if you want to have a question answered, you can email us at LockedOnOrioles at gmail.com or you can tweet to either account, the at LockedOnOrioles Twitter account or my personal account. You can see it right there on YouTube at Connor Newcomb underscore. DM either account. The DMs are open as well. Or you can leave a mailbag question in the review section on Apple Podcasts. Leave a five-star rating. And then in your review, you can ask a mailbag question. And we'll answer them on an upcoming mailbag episode but we've got exciting stuff coming up on the pod talking games talking news and notes hey we'll be focusing on the minor leagues next week as well kind of taking a look at each minor league affiliate and how they've started the season so far but exciting stuff coming up on the pod including tomorrow when we're right back here hopefully talking about the Orioles first series win of the season and uh, my first experience at the ballpark that forever changed baseball 
here this season. But until then, I'm Connor Newcomb, and this has been the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day.